0: Hello, and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Thank you for joining us for tonight's program. And
1: so, what we're about to see is this beautiful picture, and it is a beautiful picture of how this woman who was a part of wrongdoing is chosen by God for one of the most special responsibilities any woman was ever given.
0: Have a think for a moment, who are the women who have inspired us over the past century? Is there one we would set above others as one who is worth emulating? The answers to those questions could be interesting. Dr. Corbett is in a four-part series at present looking at the most inspirational women of the Bible. Tonight, the story of a woman who sacrificed much out of love and faithfulness. In the midst of what was a dark age for Israel, one woman shone, revealing that no one is a no one to God. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for a look at the second of four women. Tonight, Ruth, worth more than a sandal.
1: Please turn to the book of Ruth we are looking at the most inspirational women of the Bible and today we're going to look at Ruth and we're going to see why she is so inspirational Ruth worth more than a sandal now in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1 we read this verse and it sets up the historical background for what we're about to see which is really really important it's important for us to understand that what we're reading here is not a story in a vacuum, it's not a once upon a time story, it's not a myth, it's not a fable, it's it's grounded in history and it, it's an important part of history. When you read through the Bible and we read from Genesis chapter 1 through the Bible, it can seem like it's kind of jumping around a bit and you might assume that everything that you're reading is happening in chronological order when in fact what's happening is Ruth happens very, very early on in the book of Judges, and verse 1 tells us that. So we read this, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So we have the story of Israel coming out of Egypt, led by Moses with his understudy, Joshua. And Joshua was 40 years of age when he came out of Egypt and then he was 80 years of age by the time they had finished wandering through the wilderness which God used to test the people of Israel before he gave them the right to enter the promised land. Now after Joshua led That second generation of Israel into the promised land we see that he conquered as much of the land that was necessary for them to take possession of it but not all of it and the Bible tells us very early on in the book of Judges that God intentionally and deliberately left opposition forces in that land of Canaan For Israel that next generation of Israel to conquer and it tells us that and they didn't in fact the worst case scenario happened the people of the land who practiced such things as child sacrifice who who practiced sacred rape where women and young people and I'm trying to be delicate here were were raped in front of idols as some fertility thing, in the belief that this would make their own crops fruitful. And those are the things that God said broke his heart. They were the word abhorrent to him. And when Israel came in, God said, do not learn their ways. Do not do this. And you can understand the temptation would have been great for them to copy the way of the Canaanites because they come out of Egypt. They were not farmers they were slaves they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years they didn't have farms in the wilderness they weren't used to farming they saw the farming practices of the Canaanites and saw that they did have fruitful crops and when they asked how do you do this they were, well you've got to worship Molech, you've got to worship Ashtar, you've got to take your children, throw them into the furnace, you've got to have sex with the sacred prostitutes and you've got to make some people do despicable things and that's how you fertilize and worship your crops and they did that and it led to the Canaanites oppressing the people of Israel and we read in the book of Judges that God raised up by putting his spirit, his Holy Spirit on certain People raised them up to set the Hebrews free once again. These people were called, in English, we call them judges. In the Hebrew, the word carries the meaning of someone who's a rescuer, a rescuer, a a deliverer. So it's at that time, while all that's going on, so I hope I've given you a picture and an impression that what was going on in, in Israel at that time was that Israel was turning its back on God. It was forsaking God. It was doing things that broke God's heart. So we're going to read the story of Ruth happening with all of that happening in the background. And there's not a mention of it in the book of Ruth. There's no reference to any of this sort of thing going on. Except for the fact that we're told there was a famine, which we'll see in a moment. This is why that period in Israel's history is known as the dark age, the dark age or the dark ages of the history of Israel and this is why the story of Ruth is called the light in the midst of Israel's dark age. What we're about to read in the book of Ruth is this incredible story of someone who is considered not just one of the most inspirational women of the Bible and I'll give you some reasons why we can describe Ruth that way but something that puts Ruth in the category of one of the greatest women of the Bible. Now, why might we suggest that she's one of the greatest women of the Bible? If I was to ask you, what do you know about Ruth? Some of you may know the story and we'll refresh ourselves with the story in just a moment. But one of the reasons we can confidently say Ruth is designated as one of the greatest women in the Bible is because when it came to The opening chapter of the New Testament the Gospel of Matthew identifying who was in the family tree of Jesus it's men it's in fact 38 men are listed as the ancestors or sorry the yeah the ancestors of the physical lineage of Jesus and four in addition to that are women only four only four are mentioned and Ruth is one of them Uh, as we'll see in a moment Her mother-in-law, she had two mothers-in-law because she remarried. And one of her mothers-in-law was one of the other four women. And the interesting designation of these two women is that they were not Israelites. They were not Hebrews. And one of them was a prostitute. And this is Jesus' family tree. And these women are considered in this way to be some of the greatest women mentioned in the Bible. So what do we know about Ruth? If I was to ask you, what could you tell me about Ruth? We would probably bring out some of these descriptions. Ruth is someone, if you know the story, here is this lady who was not a Hebrew, she was a Moabite and the Moabites and the Israelites were sworn enemies and yet she converted to the God of Israel. As we'll see in a moment. Not only that, as we'll see from the opening chapter of the story, she became an example of selfless sacrificial love, one of the highest examples in the Bible. She became an example of incredible humility, a trait not usually celebrated in any era but took on a whole new character virtue after Jesus came. And then she became someone who was a picture of what it meant to be devoted to God, religious devotion. So these are the things that make her considered to be one of the greatest women who've ever lived and one of the greatest described in the Bible. So come with me now, we've read verse 1, let's read verse 2 in Ruth. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, and were told that they went there because there was a famine in the land where they were, Israel. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Now, the Bible tells us that they were not allowed to take Moabite wives. And so what we're about to see is this beautiful picture. And it is a beautiful picture of how this woman who was a part of wrongdoing, is chosen by God for one of the most special responsibilities any woman was ever given. And we call that redemption. When God takes something negative and turns it around, and this year you're going to hear me talk about redemption a lot. Because it's a theme that runs through the whole Bible. If we preach through the Bible, we cannot avoid this theme of redemption. And I hope that by the end of what we've shared within this time together, you come to realise that no matter how bad your circumstances look, no matter what pain you've had in your past, no matter how much you have felt hurt, no matter how much you have felt circumstances have been against you, I hope to introduce you to the God who can turn your situation around. And it says, But both Marlon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left, this is Naomi, left without her two sons and or or her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now this tells us, this tells us something about the relationship she had with her two, daughters, two daughters-in-law and the relationship that her daughters-in-law had with their own mothers. They must have had still a pretty healthy good relationship with their own mothers otherwise it's unlikely that Naomi would have said you don't want to hang out with me go back to your mums go back to your mums and you know it'll be surely better than hanging out with me may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me the Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of your husband then she kissed them And they lifted up their voices and wept. They said to her, and this probably says a lot about Naomi. They said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Which was the cultural practice of the day, that if... The eldest of the children died. The oldest son died. Then you marry the next son in line. And she's saying, "Eh, this is not likely to happen. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me that for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, Naomi's speaking to Ruth, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister in law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. We may miss what's happening here, but this is actually called a covenant statement. A covenant statement is a statement of commitment and so fortunately we have Jesus on the night he was betrayed which is why we took communion saying this is the cup of the new covenant it's an agreement that he's made with us a commitment he's made to us that if we come to him and ask him to forgive us of our sin our wrongdoing our guilt our shame and ask him to cleanse us from it he's made a commitment that he will he died the death that we deserve so that's, that's a covenant and this is what she's saying. Your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the Harley bar, uh, barley harvest. Not the Harley, bar, I've got motorbikes in my head, sorry. <laughs> and this sets up this story of Ruth, upon which we can, I think, confidently conclude, she is one of the most inspirational women of the Bible apart from the fact she was designated in the, the lineage of Christ without her there would have been no Christ there would have been no Jesus so why would we say she is inspirational because you know the story the story goes like this they, they go back to Bethlehem which is interesting by the way because Beth means house in Hebrew lehem means bread it's the house of bread Interesting, Jesus was born there and he describes himself as the bread that came down from heaven and so they go back to Bethlehem or for Naomi she goes back there and, and now Ruth is, she comes there and Ruth has made a commitment To support Naomi to look after Naomi so how old is Naomi I mean Naomi is probably quite old and as Ruby tells me anyone over 20 is really really old it's all perspective isn't it I think she was reading something about happened in the 1800s so she came up to me and said dad do you remember this happening so Naomi was almost certainly if not past the age of childbearing, pretty close to it. And so what we see in this story is that Ruth is looking for a way to support Naomi, so she goes into a field and she does what the Bible accommodates for poor people. People who have nothing, we're told that whenever a harvest happens you as a poor person can go to the gate, you can go to the entrance of this farm and when the harvesters are finished, the Bible says to the owners of these fields, you must allow the poor to come in after you've harvested. And as that would happen, they would come in and they would pick up the bits that the harvesters have missed and this was called gleaning. It's an interesting social welfare program by the way. That God had for those who had nothing. Because remember, work is not just a matter of earning an income, is it? It's a matter of dignity. And the reward and the effort equation applies even to those who have nothing and this is the biblical prescription for how to look after the poor so Ruth is there and she does she's she's there and she would have you know lifted up her garment and put in the barley that they missed and they probably would have ground it in mortar and pestle and that's how they would have been able to make bread or whatever and so along comes the owner of that that harvest field and his name is Boaz And he says to the young men who are his servants, "Um, who's who's this lady? And chances are, very good chances are, Ruth was quite attractive. And chances are, Boaz was a lot older than her because he knew Naomi when she left. And so he was he was acquainted with her and Naomi was acquainted with him as the story goes on and tells us so Boaz was quite old and quite a bit older than Ruth and when Ruth comes home and there's the barley she presents to Naomi Naomi says where the heck did you get this from Oh I got it from a field owned by someone by the name of Boaz and Naomi says this is really good he is a relative not so close that you couldn't marry him but not too distant that he has nothing to do with us he's a, a relative in fact they had a designation for him called he is a kinsman kin part of the family kinsman redeemer someone who under hebrew law if you couldn't afford to pay your debts the first cab off the rank would be one of your family who could pay your debts and they would own your your property whatever you you had and so Naomi says to Ruth Boaz is our kinsman redeemer he's one, he's one he's so close he he could do this and so this is what you're to do now this is where it gets pretty weird if there are any young people here young guys young girls looking for a way to date and get engaged This is where it kind of, the biblical practice isn't always exactly what you should be doing and I pointed this out last week that just because it happened in the Bible doesn't mean you should copy it because Naomi tells Ruth this is what you're to do, find out where he's sleeping and he'll be sleeping with the harvesters, sleeping probably in some of the, the grain that's been harvested he'll have a blanket over him and this is what you're to do you're to go there while he's asleep, lift the blanket and lie down under the blanket at his feet. Now, I, I just want to reiterate, I am not encouraging young girls to do this. Even though it did work for Ruth, it just, just not, it's just a cultural practice that they did. And I don't quite understand it. But Boaz did because like all men, he had ticklish feet. I've never met a man yet who doesn't have ticklish feet. Not that I have personally tested this theory. (laughs) Just anecdotal. Anyway, come on, let's let's move on. And so he wakes up because there's someone at his feet under his doona, as I think any man would. (laughs) And he immediately did what a noble man would do, a man, a noble man, someone of virtue. He saw her and said, I understand what you're doing. Because apparently this was how you showed your interest in someone and he understood that that's what was happening. And she said, you are my kinsman redeemer, which meant because Naomi doesn't have any more sons that I can marry, you have an obligation to marry me. And the interesting response from Boaz, and this is where it'd be interesting just to talk about Boaz for a bit, but if we, if we were, we would mention something like this. I wonder if he went through his life and got to that stage of life where he thought, my race has run, my horse has bolted, my hopes for marriage are over. I wonder if that was what Boaz went through emotionally and now he's got this young girl, beautiful girl, saying you are obliged to marry me and of course we have Boaz saying that's true but I'm not the first one in the pecking order, there is one other who is closer in the kinsman redeemer pecking order and we need to find out if he is prepared to marry you and so the story goes that Boaz calls from meeting with this relative of his, and he says, "You know, Naomi's come back and she can't afford to maintain her fields, and I'm wondering if you want to buy her field and redeem her field?" And he says, "I will." Oh, and there's just one other thing you'd be obliged to do. You would be obliged to marry Ruth, the Moabite." And he says... I can't do that I've got sons if I marry someone else and have children with her then my own sons will miss out on their inheritance you redeem it and Boaz goes oh all right then <laughs> <laughs> and he takes his sandal off holds it up and gives it to him and apparently that was some custom back then that said everyone's witnessing you see me go around with one sandal it's because i have redeemed my right as a kinsman redeemer and i will be marrying Ruth and so the story goes that they they married and they had children well in fact they didn't have children they had a child so we'll we'll come to that in a moment here's why from this story we see That Ruth is so inspirational firstly she became a worshipper of the God of the Bible remember in the opening chapter in the opening verses Naomi says go back to your people your home and your gods and Ruth says no your God not God's God will be my God she converts And she didn't convert because this was going to be easier. She didn't convert because this is going to be better in her self-interest to become like the Hebrews. In fact, she was going back to an uncertain future. So converting to become a worshipper of God was not something that she said, what's in it for me? There was very little that was in it for her. That makes her quite inspirational that she would choose to worship God even though Kurong has books that say if you want something from God, you just got to worship harder and longer. And I grew up in the, in the 80s. You know, books were flying around churches called Praise Power. You know, you can, you can have what you want if you learn to praise. And this is actually not biblical Christianity. It's something closer to pagan religion. The idea that we can manipulate God to do what we want. Can I tell you if that's your understanding of christianity take it back to the shop get your money back which they probably won't give you and come back and get the real one which says this when you become a christian you surrender to god and you do what he says he's not obliged to do what you say so it's a completely different and that's what she did she in order to be faithful to this god that she was making her god she was prepared to leave her familiar surroundings her home her family her kin her language and move into a place where they didn't speak her language where where they weren't like her their skin color was different their customs were different and she was prepared to do that i'm going to suggest that we as the church are called to do something similar as well. That's why Christianity is what's called a missionary movement. We go to people who are not like us. We put on things as a church that are uncomfortable for some, like board game mornings. We do things that put us out there that invite people and we don't preach at them. We preach in a way that displays our message by how we treat them. This is why we are, want to be a part of feeding 80 children for breakfast. This is why we want to do these things. So she was prepared to go into a place where, can you imagine? Can you imagine? It would be kind of like one of us saying, I'm going to move to Saudi Arabia and make it my home. You would have some hesitation, I think. So she was prepared to endure mistrust unfriendliness and even poverty she was prepared to do that to be faithful to God she was prepared to serve her mother-in-law Naomi and forego her own life did she have any thought that she was going to go to Bethlehem and find a husband and get married I don't think so she went there because she wanted to serve Naomi she was a Moabite sworn enemies of the hebrews
0: that's all we have time for tonight for a cd copy or premium download of tonight's discussion please go to our website findingtruthmatters.org and select the most inspirational women of the bible part two ruth from our online store as we've heard tonight it was a dark age for israel ruth left that which was familiar and comfortable to be loving and faithful Her own life was peppered with setbacks, but in God's perspective, her life had generational significance. No one is a no one to God. More from Dr. Corbett next week as he introduces the Shulamite woman. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College here in Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.